0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Avatar, the podcast. We have made it to the invasion. We're here. We're ready to punch the Fire Lord in the mouth.
1: <laughs> We're ready for our math test.
0: We're ready for the math test, the mathematics. We're ready. We got our pants on and shackled to everything so we can't <laughs> forget it. We are well-rested and good to go. There is nothing that can get in our way now, except, ooh, didn't someone already learn of the plan like a season ago?
1: Wasn't someone there during a war meeting when they were talking about the invasion?
0: Oh, maybe. Maybe we might hit a speed bump or two, but clearly (laughs) we have the element of surprise right here. That's right, everyone, in case you... Didn't read the title in case you've forgotten. We are talking about Book 3, Chapter 10, The Day of Black Sun, Part 1, or as we like to call it,
1: The Invasion.
0: Yes, that's right. And before we invade this episode, mm-hmm. let's read a couple five-star reviews, shall we?
1: Yeah, let's do it. The first review comes from Kaylin77, who wrote, Best Podcast. You guys are amazing, and I absolutely cannot get enough of you. I have listened to other podcasts about shows, but none are at the same level as this one. I love how detailed you guys are and that you talk through the episodes in such a story-like way. I've been wanting to rewatch Avatar The Last Airbender, and after listening to your intro, I've been watching it in close tandem with the podcast. I am just near the beginning, so I'm really excited that there is so much to experience. Thank you so much for doing this podcast so people like me can listen. Love you guys.
0: Oh, that one is so sweet. I loved it. We love you, Kalen. Yeah, we love you. Thank you so much for writing that one in. It's one of those things where every time I feel like I summarize an episode, I'm always like, do I really need to include this line of dialogue? Do I really (laughs) need to include this small little detail? And then we get reviews like Kalen's. That's just like, yes, you do. We appreciate it. And I'm like, Okay, yeah, we'll do it. Great. Awesome. Uh, It it feels very good for us to, to hear that all of the hard work that we put in is going noticed and is appreciated. So mm-hmm. thank you. The next one comes from Lissa. Lissa writes, OMG, how I love this podcast with two hard eyes, smiley faces. I love this, by the way. I love all the reviews that come in, but I really love this one because it's got a little attitude to it. It's got a little like <laughs> snap to it. I love it. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to read it as I interpret it. So Lissa, hopefully this does your review justice. Acorn and Greg. Listen, you didn't have to go so hard, yet you did.
1: <laughs> listen.
0: Listen, guys, you didn't have to go this hard, but you did. I started this podcast two weeks ago, I believe, and I'm already all caught up. Also, that's, wow. a, that's a lot of our voices crammed that's into two weeks. a lot of
1: hours of listening. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My job requires me to stand all day so we can listen to whatever we want, hence why I'm all caught up. I'm sad, though, because now I have to wait for each episode to come out. My top five characters are Zuko, obviously Uncle Iroh, Toph, obviously, Appa, and the Cabbage Merchant. Yay! Yay! I
1: miss him. We I haven't seen him so in a long time.
0: So much. Like, not, a, not an episode goes by where I'm just like, ah, oh, the Cabbage Merchant. And actually, you'll see in my review or my, in my summary that I was thinking of him during this episode. Oh,
1: perfect timing. Yes. I know. He was one of the best parts of book two. I know.
0: Anyways, Lissa continues and says, super excited to continue this journey with you guys and can't wait for the next episode. Thank you so much. That was really oh my nice. Gosh. It was so snappy. It was so sassy. It was heartfelt. <laughs> it was all the things you like to see in a review. Awesome.
1: Dedicated. Listening to the whole podcast.
0: I always get a little nervous when everyone's like, oh, I listened to this in like 38 hours. Cause I'm like I'm exaggerating, obviously, but I'm like you must know all of our speech patterns, and you must like you must have <laughs> some. I get very self conscious because I'm like, oh, maybe yep. you maybe don't like how I pronounce something or how like we take certain pauses or I don't know some sort of speech pattern that we have, and I'm like, she's heard it all in such a short I amount know. of time.
1: I would like to think that our listeners understand that we're we're human and we're working through the podcast structure and things change over time, but yeah, I think if. If I now went back and listened to the early episodes, which we recorded over a year ago. Yeah. I would also cringe a little bit being like, wow, we're so awkward.
0: Well, so I I went back and listened to a little bit of the first episode. Did you? And yeah, just a little, only like five or 10 minutes. I didn't really have a lot of time, but I was just like, I'm always getting very curious about how the projects we work on evolve and and all Mm -hmm. of that. Because... For us, it doesn't seem like it changes too, too much because we do this week after week after week, unless we have like a break in between seasons or I have a child or something like that. (laughs) So it feels like very good routine. I don't think we see when we're working on it week by week, the evolution of the show. So I went back Mm -hmm. and I listened and I was like, oh, my God, the show now quality wise, in my opinion, is so much better than the first couple episodes because we're finding our rhythm, we're going through it a little behind the scenes for everyone. Acorn and I didn't know each other all that well at that point. So it's just kind of like new all around. So it's just gotten a lot better and we can now afford an editor, which is (laughs) super helpful. So we don't have to spend six to 10 hours a week editing anymore. It's just Mm -hmm. we have Rob who can do it in such a faster time than we can anyway. So this is turning into a thank you to all our patrons. That's what this is turning into now.
1: (laughs) Actually, yes. Thank you, patrons. Thank you. For pledging to support us on Patreon.
0: Yes, 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 yes. All right. What's the next review?
1: Yes. The next review comes from number one K Soup fan who writes, love this with a heart smiley face. Thank you guys so much for making such an intellectual podcast about my favorite show. I was going on a long car ride and needed something to make the ride more enjoyable. And I checked out a couple other avatar podcasts, but this one takes the cake. I love how it's like a retelling of each episode with analysis and commentary. I did a lot of critical media analysis in my classes in college. So I really love those moments where you guys really read into things and find strong parallels and themes within the show. Great job. Oh, that's, that's a huge compliment. Oh that my gosh, really if someone is. like did this in school and appreciates the structure and the, the notes that we make, I will take that for the compliment that it is.
0: Also, again, I feel, I'm feeling very seen. Throughout all of these reviews, it was like, oh, someone who like, I know, I don't want to demean our work, but I always just feel like a scholar, someone who studied it and like we're studying it too. We're scholars of Avatar at this point, but it doesn't at this point. Yeah, it it doesn't like feel because we're not doing it for university or anything of that matter, (laughs) you know, like it's, it's just us pursuing a passion. So, yeah, it's just like, wow, someone who studied it in college. In a critical analysis form, it's just like, you guys, keep it up. Wow.
1: Yeah, that feels good. Feels good. That, that's a nice pat on the back. Feels
0: great. Oh, man, I'm going to stop rambling like an idiot in front of all the scholars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you, everyone, so much for these reviews. Thank you
0: so much. Yes, yes. And remember, if you leave a five-star written review over on Apple Podcasts, your review could be read on the show. So go do that. And remember, as I always say, if you leave a five-star review. And you don't write anything. We can't read it because there's nothing written. So, you know, mm-hmm. get on that. Absolutely. Also, we talked about the Patreon really quickly. If you want to become a patron, you can go over to patreon.com slash avatar the podcast. You can pledge all the way down from $3 and up. But if you want the good stuff, if you want the real good stuff like secret podcast and partaking in the poll, to decide official headcanon for avatar the podcast on. I wouldn't even call them tertiary characters. I'd call them background they're just characters. Background characters, characters. yeah. You can join the 100-year war, which is $5 and up, and you will get access to that, doodle pages. If you have a question you want to ask us directly, we have AMAs there. Uh, We got fun polls, like I said, the whole deal, the whole deal. So hop over there. It's a good time. It's a great time. I love Secret Podcast. We just recorded and released the second one, and it was Mm -hmm. really, really good. Okay, let's get on to the reason why we're here, which is, like we said, book three, chapter 10, The Day of Black Sun, part one. This episode was written by Michael Dante DiMartino, good old Mike of Brake fame, and was directed by Giancarlo Volpe. We join Team Avatar in the morning of the invasion. Sokka and Katara look over some plans as Aang greets everyone after a good night's rest. After Katara acknowledges that he seems well-rested, Aang tells the group that he is ready to face the Fire Lord. Toph asks if Aang is using the Avatar state against Ozai as a part of his strategy. But Aang explains that when Azula struck him with lightning, it locked his seventh chakra and he could no longer enter the Avatar state. Toph kind of brushes this off as like, oh yeah, you say that, but I hear spiritual mumbo jumbo, can't do this. It was kind of like one of those excuses, excuses from Toph.
1: <laughs> Classic Toph. Oh, I want to point out during this scene, we can see Sokka sitting in front of a bunch of maps and yes. atlases. And if you remember... Toph gave him money in the episode where they were scamming that town
0: That's right. for him
1: to go buy the atlases. So here they are.
0: He did. And he was really like mulling them over too. He was really concentrated. And Katara was as well, actually. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, a thick fog rolls in from the ocean. Katara is worried that the fog might delay the invasion, but Sokka quickly realizes that the fog is being caused by waterbenders and note that the fog won't delay the invasion because the fog is the invasion with Hakoda and Bato leading the way. Yay! Yay! Aang and Toph quickly earthbend a few docks for the incoming fleet, and Katara runs into her father's arms, happy to be reunited. Sokka asks if his dad was able to find everyone on his list, and Hakoda tells his son that while he found everyone, he's a little worried, as some of them might not be quite warrior material. Cough, <laughs> cough, swamp, <laughs> enders, <laughs> cough, cough.
1: The Swamp vendors. I was so excited to see them again.
0: Yes. Yes. This is really just like Aang Avengers Assemble. Like, I mm-hmm. love this. So I love whenever a story does like reuniting like this. It's like, yes. remember this guy, and this guy, and this guy, and this guy, and this girl and this, and this woman and this person. Guess what? They're back. Anyway, sorry. I'm just like nerding out over <laughs> secondary characters that we haven't seen and become very close to. I feel like. Do and Toe from the Foggy Swamp Tribe get off a nearby ship as Hakoda finishes his thought. Do wonders if a nearby rock is a Fire Nation exploding trap or something. But Toe assures his friend that it is, in fact, just a rock. <laughs> While Hakoda is concerned about the swamp bender's mental state, Bato just wishes they would wear pants. Who scratches his stomach and tells the group that pants are an illusion and so is death.
1: Which is a callback to what he yep. said in the swamp episode when he said time is an illusion and so is death.
0: Yes, there are so many callbacks in these next two episodes. It's yes. just like wild.
1: And that actually ties into the concept of reuniting and having the, the group of allies and friends come back together. It's, yeah. it's just so wholesome. And it's like, it feels kind of like a bookend in a lot of ways.
0: It does. It feels like this is the end. Like this is, they're going to win the invasion. Like it's this triumphant feeling. Right. And we know that's not the case because A, this is only episode 10 and there are typically 20 something episodes depending on the series mm-hmm. and especially with this being so successful we know they're not going to stop at 10 or 11 so it's like uh-oh you know it's yep. it's it's this good feeling with this doom overhead mm-hmm. which is really cool
1: i think that's actually so effective because we first learned about the day of black sun yep. when they went to the library and found out that this has happened historically and it's going to happen again so Ever since that moment, they've been working towards this invasion. Like, this is it. It feels like the climax. It feels like the end of the story. And you have all of the satisfying coming together of allies and friends. And so I actually think we know what's going to happen. We know the invasion is going to fail. Yeah. So I think that actually is what makes it even more impactful because you have this buildup to, this is it. We're going to win. And then they don't.
0: Yeah. We have the Foggy Swamp Tribe getting off the boat not wearing pants, much to Bato's dismay. And speaking of Friends Reunited, none other than Mr. Haru himself steps off the dock, sporting, in my opinion, a quite unflattering new Fu Manchu. <laughs> it's so bad. Is it like a Fu Man- it's like a mustache in Soul Patch, I guess is kind of more... I thought it was kind of Fu manchu but it's not quite uh, long enough yet. It's not no, great. No, it's not. It's not
1: great. I thought about this, and I think it might actually be because it's so dark. It's contrasting on his face so that it's too noticeable. And the combination of the shapes, too, just does not flatter his face.
0: The origin of this facial hair (laughs) does not come from a serious place. So they had the sketch of Haru ready to go for the storyboard. And the way it kind of goes is, I don't remember who, but someone on the production team just drew a mustache on Haru jokingly. And Mike and Brian were like, keep it. Hmm. We like this. Keep it. But it's kind of like a joking. They're like, this is so awesome, but in a joking way that it has to be kept. And I have to say, I dislike it, but I think it's hilarious because it's like that awkward teenage facial hair where you're like, I can grow that now. And you're just growing it and you shouldn't. That's what it is.
1: It is awkwardly hilarious, but it will make me cringe every time I see it.
0: Every time. The group greets Haru warmly as Katara gives him a big hug. Haru's father, Tyro, walks up behind his son and tells Katara that because she helped them in their time of need. They are here to help her, which is great. Uh, They Also, they introduce Toph to, because you forget that Toph wasn't always around. At least I kind of do from time to time because she's such a good fit. So this was well before Toph's time. So they make the point to introduce Toph to Haru and Mm Tyro. Suddenly the earthquakes as Toph quickly turns around, only to be greeted by none other than the big bad hippo and the boulder. Yes.
1: <laughs> I was so happy to see them again. I loved it. And I love how she knows their footsteps because it's tough. She, she calls Aang Twinkle Toes because yep. she knows exactly how he walks. And so I think it's just a, a nice detail that she has the steps of her former wrestler friends. Yeah. Her also opponents. memorized. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Her opponents.
0: Yeah, for sure. They tell the young earthbending master that the boulder and the hippo no longer fight for others' entertainment. Now we fight for our kingdom. I'm like making a <laughs> fist. I'm doing all the wrestler actions. No one can see that, but it yeah. still helps. Sweet, Toph says as she smiles. An unexpected peanut explosion from one of the dock ships reveals the mechanist working on a new invention with Tio, the Duke, and Pipsqueak on board. Sokka asks the mechanist, if he was able to complete the plans that were sent over. The Mechanist confirms that the plans were completed and that the Fire Nation will be quite surprised. Teo presents a new glider staff to Aang, one with a few new improvements made by his father, including a snack compartment. Aang wonders about the practicality of a snack compartment, but thanks (laughs) his friends for the new glider and notes that he's sure the snacks will come in handy at some point. So here's a couple quick notes right here. I got three of them. Yeah. I got a surprise one for you, because I only wrote down two of them. Okay. The Duke is, this episode is voiced by Nick Swoboda. I think that's how you say his last name. I'm sure I butchered it. Instead of Mitch Hollerman. This is Nick's only voice acting credit that I could find on IMDb.
1: That makes me wonder if Mitch wasn't available and they had to find a replacement.
0: Yeah, I didn't. So I looked at, all of the voice actors for the kids because some of them, like Haru sounded differently to me. So I was like, I'm sure Mm -hmm. that's went through puberty. So now they kind of have like, or going through puberty. So now they can like, kind of have the excuse of recasting if they need it. And the only one they did was the Duke, which is really funny. Yeah. Everyone else is original voice actor. I don't remember if I said this on the Blind Bandit episode, but Kevin Michael Richardson, who is also the voice of Tyro, is the voice of the Big Bad Hippo.
1: Oh, really? I don't
0: remember if I said that or not. I don't think it was credited on that episode, but he was, in fact, that at least in this episode, he is the, the voice cool. actor for it, which is really cool. Peanuts are actually an ingredient in dynamite. So when he was making peanut explosion sauce, he was not too far off. It gives merit to the mechanist's attempt. So, you know.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yep. I came across that, too. And I thought yep. that was such a fun detail.
0: Yeah. The last point, which I did not write down, comes directly from the commentary, which is that the glider that is presented by the Mechanist or by Teo, more specifically was actually more like Aang's original glider design than mm. his actual original glider. So the idea when they were writing it down, they were brainstorming. The original idea for Aang was he was from a much longer time ago than 100 years ago. And they were a <gasps> oh, much more right. advanced civilization. So they would have, he would have had a more like mechanically operated glider instead of just kind of like the more simple design that they landed on. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I don't remember if we brought that up. I'm sure we did back in episode one or two, but I wanted to make sure that we at least reinstated it and Mm -hmm. reminded everyone.
1: Yeah, that's such a great detail because when Mike and Brian were first coming up with concepts for this world, they were thinking that it was going to be like a futuristic fantasy type of situation where Mm -hmm. Aang was still a nomad. There were still going to be air bison, but he would have like a robot companion and he'd be like a future monk and all of these like sci-fi elements. So that's actually a really cool detail that kept his original glider design.
0: Yep. And they did know that the, the wings look more like bat wings. So like that element yeah. of the flying lemur was still incorporated, which is really cool. So everyone's reunited. Everyone's happy. Hugs all around. Handshakes. Peanut sauce for everyone.
1: <laughs> Including Momo. Including who like Momo. licks it off the of faces.
0: Yes. Since everyone's happy, we're going to shift gears and we're going to go back to the Fire Nation prison where Warden Poon taunts Iroh, who remains quiet. A guard walks in with Iroh's breakfast and sneaks in some white jade tea for him noting that she remembered how he likes rare teas. After Warden Poon leaves, Iroh thanks Ming for the tea and notes that she has been very kind to him during his imprisonment. Ming is voiced by Serena Williams. Yes, one (gasps) of the top female tennis players in the world, sister of Venus, Serena Williams.
1: So cool.
0: We will hear her again in Korra, so everyone get prepared for that. The story, I think we talked about this at the beginning of book three or book two. Yeah. No, in the beginning of book three, I believe we talked about this. But Serena Williams got into the show, got a, a voice acting role on the, on the show because she walked in on Brian Kanetsuko and Sifu Kisu practicing sword fighting for an episode. And she kind of like joked, he was like, oh, you guys get a great workout working on this show. And she kind of mm-hmm. said she's such a fan of it and, and all these things. So That kind of translated into a speaking role for her, which is really cool.
1: That's so great. Yeah. I love thinking about how that went because I'm sure Brian was like, hmm, we can do something about that.
0: Well, uh, the way Brian tells it is his initial reaction was, well, we can't compete against you on a court for 30 seconds. So (laughs) thanks. That's a compliment. Our workout, I guess. But yeah, you can tell the wheels got spinning for that one. And they Mm -hmm. had this smaller role. Why not? And she does a really good job.
1: Yeah, she does. She's great. I love Ming's voice. I do. Also, something about Ming here in this scene. Yes, she does bring Iroh a rare tea to drink. But if you remember back when Iroh and Zuko were on the run, Iroh made that potentially fatal mistake. I was just going to say, I didn't have time
0: to research if that was the, Uh the same tea. It is. That's awesome. The
1: white jade is the white flower with red spots that Iroh made into tea, thinking... It was the white dragon bush, which is the correct plant to use for making a rare and delicious tea. Mm. So I have a headcanon here that Ming just loves Iroh and is doting on him, obviously. And she went out of her way to go look for the rarest tea and came across this plant and made the same mistake that he did. And he is too nice to say anything about it. So he's just like, thank you, Ming.
0: <laughs> your kindness kind. is very
1: appreciated. <laughs> you tried to
0: kill me, but your, your kindness, <laughs> it's the thought tell. that counts. Yeah, exactly. That's really yep. funny. Back with the Ang vengers Yes, yeah, so that's what I'm going to call them now. When everyone's assembled like this, they're the Ang vengers I love it. Sokka takes a deep breath as he is nervous about presenting his plans in front of everyone. Hakoda assures his son that he will do great. And Sokka walks in front of all the men and women but fumbles the delivery completely. So a little production note on this, what was written for this episode, so what Mike wrote, was actually not long enough for this entire fumbling of the speech.
1: Oh, wow.
0: So everyone kind of chipped in here or there, and that's where the rambling sort of comes from where he's like, well, I didn't really like Ang all that much, but I grew to love him. And then <laughs> the line they mentioned specifically in the, in the commentary is Sokka bringing up Haru's mustache.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, Sokka kind of gives the delivery. He doesn't give enough information at first and is all jumbled up. And then he kind of takes a step back. He realizes that he needs to start from the beginning and he starts from the beginning. The actual beginning, as in finding Aang in an iceberg (laughs) beginning. Hakoda kind of sees his son struggling and takes his place and clarifies the plan a bit more succinctly and is a lot more motivational than his son. Let's just say that. This speech turns into a motivational speech. And I guess this is where Katara gets it from.
1: Yes, exactly. I love when shows do that, where they show qualities from the family that the kids have. And this show does it just in spades, like Azula. Katara and Sokka, mm-hmm. so good.
0: They don't rub your face in it either. Like yeah. they don't ever mention. Like there's not. It would be very easy for Mike to write in a line of I don't know, like Haru telling his father, being like, "Oh, I see the family resembles now." Like, oh, like her, like like Katara did that back in uh-huh. the you know back in the imprisonment episode. No, they don't do that. They just kind of throw it out there. If you notice it, you notice it. If you don't, no big deal. We move on.
1: Yep. The only time they really call attention to it is when Bato tells Saka, "Like father, like son."
0: Yeah, that's true. But like even that, that's just like the upfront personality of being like a funny guy kind of thing. Exactly. And yep. even that line, I don't think it's as meant to show you that Saka is like Hakoda, as it is that Bato understands his friend so much and he sees the qualities in his son. Mm-hmm. So there's a slight difference there that it's I deeper. will argue. Yeah. 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 Yep. Excuse me, the boulder is confused. (laughs) The pebble says. I felt like saying the pebble there because I don't, I don't, I felt weird about saying the boulder right after the boulder. But, anyways, isn't the point to invade during the eclipse when the firebenders are powerless?
1: Well, you were a little pirate there at the end.
0: I can't help it. (laughs) I know. All roads lead to pirate for me. (laughs) Hakoda nods and states that since the eclipse only lasts eight minutes which is not enough time for the whole invasion. Instead, they have to reach the palace by the time the eclipse is in full effect so they can defeat the guards and Aang can fight the Fire Lord. Afterwards, they will have control of the Fire Nation capital and the war will be over. Everyone cheers, but Sokka is disappointed in himself. I felt so bad for Sokka at this point.
1: I know. he He's so hard on himself. And he's been growing and developing this whole journey. Yeah. And he felt like this was his moment. This was his time to step up as a Southern Water Tribe warrior yeah. and present the plan and be the leader of the invasion. And then he's just not ready. And that's okay. And Aang makes a really good point after this, which I'm sure we're about to get to. But, you know, public speaking is something that we all are not good at at first. It takes practice.
0: Yeah. It's not like a natural thing like a lot of media will present Mm -hmm. it to you as. It's definitely a practice skill, uh, even just the comfort level alone. And even seasoned actors, uh, when they go on stage or they begin to perform, they even get nervous right beforehand. So it's definitely Mm -hmm. a discipline for sure.
1: Yeah. I do want to point out that this scene here where Hakoda takes over includes a map that actually is a really, really good depiction of the structure of the Fire Nation island. We've talked about this as the gang has explored the island, but if you pay attention here, he actually shows you the progression from the harbor through the harbor town to the plaza tower. And then there's this like crisscrossing kind of switchback path that goes up the side of the dormant volcano into the Royal Caldera City where the palace is. So if you're anything like me, I have seen this show so many times. I've binged it so many times. And it wasn't until this podcast when I actually started looking closer at things like, what does the Fire Nation Island look like? How is everything laid out? I didn't really have a clear grasp on like layout and structure, but Mm. this really just puts it into a great visual for you.
0: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. The team prepares for the invasion, which includes Appa wearing freaking battle armor. Sokka's been working (laughs) on it forever and it's finally done.
1: His good boy armor.
0: Eng kneels down in front of the water and finishes shaving his head as we see the iconic arrow back in full force, which also super impressive that he can shave with a rock that closely and that accurately without cutting (laughs) himself or hurting himself.
1: It's the Air Nomad Barber technique.
0: Oh, yes, yes. Actually... Mike and Brian joke that it, he's rock bending. He's earth bending the rock to make it sharp. Oh God, sharper.
1: he made it sharper. <laughs> That's so funny.
0: Aang stands up and looks out to the horizon, knowing that today is the day he fulfills his destiny. Or yes. is it dot, dot, dot?
1: It feels like the finale. So feels like we'll it. see. We'll see. I do want to point out. So this scene is, it's kind of like a montage of everyone getting suited up, putting on their armor, getting ready for battle. And there's a fun fact around the armor that specifically Appa and Sokka use, as well as the Water Tribe men. There were some unused toy idea submissions that Brian sent in for the consumer products department. Oh,
0: that's cool. And
1: they were never used. So they threw it into the show. And, and I think they turned out really cool because they're a little bit different from the outfits that we've seen in book yeah. one. Yep. So it's like a return to the original characters that we met, but in a different way.
0: It's really interesting because, A... I thought that Appa's armor looked very toy-like. I was like, Mm. that should have been a toy. B, I like the idea of returning to your origins, but being Mm -hmm. changed from the journey. So Aang, I think, is the most prevalent example of this because his clothes are different. But if you like quickly look back and forth, they look about the same because it has the same color scheme. It's just like Mm -hmm. a different clothing style. And yes. it's more mature, which kind of shows his growth along the way. Toph wears her blind bandit armor again, but she introduces elements from Earth Nation or Earth Kingdom soldiers. So, like the hat yes. and stuff like that.
1: And the gauntlets on and the, the gauntlets. arm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, totally. it was really cool to kind of see that. We actually join Zuko in the next scene. There's a lot of back and forth in this episode. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows that it drives me up a wall. And I'm going to go back and look at who wrote the last episode that this happened to. And I bet you it's Brian Michael DiMartino. I bet you. He seems to like doing this, jumping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, to the point where the wiki refuses to acknowledge that it's a back and forth so quickly.
1: They like group it up. They
0: group it up. In Bigger chunks. And, yeah, and I was reading, I was like, that's not how this happens. So this is officially how it happens, timeline-wise, in the episode for everyone. We rejoin Zuko. He removes his armor and royal adornments in his chambers at the fire palace and calmly begins to write a letter. It's very like a somber feel, like it's very dimly lit room. It feels like mm-hmm. it feels like he's doing something important. Back at the invasion camp, Sokka looks at his wolf helmet, still disappointed in himself from earlier. Ang flies up and tells Sokka that everyone has been looking for him. The young warrior tells his friend that he messed up and that the invasion plan was his moment of truth and he completely screwed it up. Aang puts his hand on his friend's shoulder and tells him that his speech was not his moment of truth. It was just public speaking. And nobody's really good at that. Side note, except Katara and Hakoda, apparently. (laughs) After Sokka notes that his father is good at it and that he's a real leader because he inspired everyone with his words, Aang tells Sokka, that his moment of truth isn't going to be in front of some map. It's going to be out on the battlefield. Foreshadowing. (laughs) You seem so confident about everything. How do you know we're going to win? Sokka asks. Because I already failed the world once at Ba Sing Se. I won't let myself fail again, Aang answers with a determined look on his face. And with that, the invasion fleet sails off to the great gates of
1: Azulon. Oh my gosh. These gates are beautiful. They are so cool. I didn't realize, but there were gates that were very similar to this, guarding the golden horn of Constantinople before its fall in 1453. And so it makes me wonder now if those are the gates that all these fantasy worlds have taken inspiration from. Because if you Mm. think about Lord of the Rings, you know those, um, I forget what it's called, but it's that passageway, the river passage through the cliffs with these two giant statues. You see it in Game of Thrones near the southern city, whose name is, I'm also forgetting. But it's it's a concept you see a lot in fantasy. I think a lot of the imagery is larger than life and the themes are larger than life. But yeah. it's cool to know that there was a real world inspiration.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's it kind of lends a little more realism to it. It's not just like, oh, giant statues that form a gate because mm-hmm. it looks cool. There's actually yep. like a historical reason for it.
1: Yep. The canon detail about the gates is Azulon named them after himself versus someone else naming them after him. So he wanted full credit and called these gates, the great gates of Azulon.
0: I dislike Azulon so much. I do too. (laughs) Although that just means he is hubris. It doesn't mean he's necessarily a bad guy, but I still, I don't, I dislike, I dislike the, I feel like I'm just gonna say this blank, blanket statement. I dislike From Ozai up to Zuko, but not including Zuko. Well, season one Zuko. I just like that whole lineage right there.
1: You mean like from Ozai back?
0: Sorry, I said Ozai. From Sozin, from Sozin up to season one Zuko. Some might argue book two Zuko as well, because he hasn't quite gotten there yet. But that whole lineage is just not great. Yeah. Not great.
1: That was was some bad, bad seed.
0: Bad seeds right there. Yeah. The fleet approaches the gates But Katara notices that she doesn't see a gate. There is only a giant statue of a Zulon and equally giant dragon statues on either side of it. Hakoda instructs his daughter and the swamp benders to generate some fog so the fleet can sneak past the statues. What they don't know is that the statues are the gate and a giant net is raised from the sea and lit on fire as the fog approaches. Everyone rushes below the decks of their ships as Fire Nation soldiers rush the incoming water tribe boats only to find nobody on board.
1: I do want to point out that when they make the fog, for the first time ever, we see female swamp benders.
0: We do. That's right. That's right. Also, another note, how spooky is it if you're a Fire Nation soldier that these ships are coming up through a fog and there's Mm -hmm. no one on them? That's ghost story (laughs) material is what that is right there. It
1: is ghost story material. It's like the curse of the Black Pearl.
0: Yeah. See, everything leads back to pirates. Anyways, we now... (laughs) see what Sokka's big plan was. It was submarines. Hakoda praises his son and Toph congratulates Sokka on inventing a form of travel that is worse than flying. She then pukes into the Duke's helmet.
1: Oh, poor Toph. Yeah. I actually was thinking about this. Yeah,
0: it's nightmare fuel for her.
1: Yeah, it is to be floating underwater in a capsule that that has no land, it has no grounding. I actually was thinking, I wonder if her sickness is kind of like vertigo because of that. She doesn't have a way to ground herself so she gets dizzy and nauseous and things are just so. kind of like swishing all over for her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My head went not to vertigo, but I'm sure it's probably the same thing. My head went to how people get motion sickness from virtual reality.
1: Yeah, there you go. It's yep. that
0: same kind of deal where she can maybe like feel that she's moving, but can't see it. And that's kind of freaking her out a little bit and throwing her all out of whack. hmm. I do want to note, though, I feel like she could probably see in the submarine now because last time we saw her in a metal container like this, she actually refused to go into and that was during the drill. Yeah. And she's like, no, I can't see in there. I'm I'm good out here. But I wonder if she can see now that she can metal bend. I wonder if she can see to a degree using her seismic sense.
1: I was thinking that too, but I actually believe metal bending is new enough for her that she doesn't see with seismic sense the way that she does with Earth. Because especially later in part two, she comes up to a metal door and tests it by like knocking on it and considering and then bending. So I think it might have something to do with the seismic reverberations that they just go differently. Mm -hmm. They go through metal differently than ground. So it's less grounded, less comfortable for her.
0: That makes sense. Anyway, she pukes in the Duke's helmet. And the Duke, by the way, the gentleman that he is offers it to her.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was so cute.
0: Sokka accepts the compliments, but credits the Mechanist for doing all of the work. While sharing the credits with Sokka and displaying the quote-unquote original design, the Mechanist tells the group that he wasn't able to figure out the air supply problem. They will need to resurface before they can land on the beaches. This difference between the submarines, which was just revealed by the Mechanist for us, was actually very similar in the comparison between the pre-Cold War and World War II submarines. So there's a little history for everyone. So cool. Back at B-Plot Prison, that's what I'm calling it from now on, B-Plot Prison, Ming treats Iroh to an extra bowl of rice. Iroh thanks Ming again for her kindness and notes that it's been her little gestures of kindness that have made his days in prison bearable. He takes a moment and tells Ming that she should take the rest of the day off. Ming is a bit taken aback by this notion and Iroh continues to tell Ming that she looks unwell and she should probably just go home and rest. Ming assures the former general that she feels fine, but Iroh insists that it is better that she is not here this afternoon. Ming nods and walks out. Back at the submarines, the fleet has resurfaced and rested long enough, and the Duke has washed his helmet out if anyone's worried. (laughs) Yep. It is here that Aang says his goodbyes to his friends, and they each wish each other luck before taking off to fight the Fire Lord. Hakoda announces that the next time they resurface, they will be at the beaches and the invasion will have begun. So everyone needs to stay alert and fight smart. He tells everyone that break time is over and they need to get a move on. But before they do, Katara and Aang share a moment and think about everything they have been through together. Katara notes that Aang isn't the little kid that she once knew and Aang wonders what would happen if he doesn't come back. Katara dismisses this notion and before she can finish her thought, Aang kisses her and then takes off.
1: The ship is alive and well.
0: (laughs) Bold move. What is it though? Because I bet you Zutara shippers will say, well, she didn't necessarily kiss back. And there's Uh, no real expression of if she liked it or if she wanted it or if it's something like, or if she's just pondering on it, if she's conflicted. We have no real reaction from Katara other than she blushes and she dazes off a little bit. She kind of looks off into the horizon after Aang.
1: Mm -hmm. You can argue it both ways.
0: You can. You absolutely can. I mean, I'm obviously arguing pro and saying that she's blushing because, you know, she realizes and everything that they both kind of wanted in that regard is starting to come into fruition and all of that. Mm-hmm. I think that's just the way it goes here. Katara, what are you doing? It's time to submerge. Sokka yells from the submarine's hatch. Katara snaps out of her daze and jumps on Appa while waterbending an air bubble for them to breathe. The invasion continues on towards its final point of contact. Zuko, now dressed in a simple Fire Nation robe, places a scroll on May's bed as he looks at a painting of the two of them. I'm sorry, May," he says as he leaves the room. Uh, We jump back to Aang really quickly. And at this point, he found the snack compartment super useful.
1: (laughs) I love how he opens it up and it just like splatters his face with snacks. He catches as much as he can in his mouth.
0: I kind of thought for sure that was going to be like led to his demise, like as in those two idiot Fire Nation soldiers are just happy to be below and they go, why is this stack falling from the sky? And they start following it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they, so they, they cut back. I've noticed in this episode, they're trying to balance things out almost equally. So you'll have like a dramatic moment mm-hmm. and you'll have a goofy moment almost immediately after that. Maybe that's what Mike was going for when we have all these like quick cuts between Zuko and Aang. Again, kind of also showing that they are the different sides of the same coin kind of deal. But yeah. when one has a serious moment, The other one kind of has a goofy moment. Interesting. Everyone assumes their battle positions as the submarines approach their destination. They manage to evade harpoons as they ice torpedo a great in the gate. Great in the gate. I wrote that and I thought it was awkward, but then I thought it was awesome afterwards. So I kept it.
1: Great in the gate.
0: Great in the gate. Brought to you by Avatar, the podcast. (laughs) The submarines go past the final blockade and approach the beach. The team breathes in as they live in the calm before the storm. And that storm would be storming the beach of the Fire Palace. Very the Normandy, the beaches of Normandy mm-hmm. kind of vibe on this one. Very interesting. Yeah. A battle cry erupts from our heroes as they storm the plaza with caterpillar-like tanks powered by earthbenders, a la like Fred Flintstone kind of deal where they, like, their feet are moving it. <laughs> yep. And face off against tundra tanks from the Northern Air Temple episode. It's not much of a matchup as the new tanks are able to easily squash the competition. Get it? Because they, they curl up and they... toff and the boulder managed to take out the watchtowers <laughs> by hurtling boulders at the towers from what I consider to be the military equivalent of a cabbage cart. That rock cart looked like the cabbage merchant's it cart. It does look like it. To a, me. Yeah, okay. That's where I was thinking about the cabbage merchant pop back in my head. I was like, oh, pal. I, miss oh, you, buddy. I, see. I bet you he made his way here and his cabbage merchant cart is somewhere off in the distance and a single boulder hurtled on top. Oh. of Oh,
1: I, bet, <laughs> I you. bet so. Probably.
0: <laughs> the invasion pushes forward and the Fire Nation military seems to be outmatched. Toe wonders out loud, where in tarnation is Hugh? After losing a man in the battle. And as soon as he does swamp Hugh, or as I like to affectionately call him, Huge. Wow. (laughs) Emerges from the ocean. Huge is able to make quick work of two tundra tanks. Hey, Hugh, where you been? Dew asks, and Hugh notes that he was communing with nature and that it takes a while to collect enough seaweed for his armor.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked a lot about the Fire Nation being technologically advanced. It was actually so satisfying to see the other benders using their bending with technology in a unique and innovative way to get the upper hand on the fire nation.
0: Yeah, kind of it was kind of interesting to see new inventions versus old inventions as well and we will see that a little bit further because you they had to have known going into this battle that the mechanists made so many dangerous things for the fire nation. They even kind of saw some pre-mechanist, let's call it work, right, with mm-hmm. the tanks because those tanks were the same ones that um, helped with the genocide of, I say helped with the genocide, but it feels weird to say that, but everyone knows what I mean. They they were used in the genocide of the Air Nomads. So that means he didn't invent those ones. So like you can only imagine that things have gotten better. And that's kind of something that's been looming over them, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, this kind of actually, now that I'm thinking about it, and if no one's watched Corey yet, mild spoiler, but we've already said this before. I think this fight kind of paves the way a little bit more for how advanced they get in Korra, just a little bit more.
1: Yeah. It yeah, makes me exactly. feel better. Yeah. Speaking of the technology, too, specifically the Earthbender powered tanks, they were actually inspired by one of Leonardo da Vinci's tank designs, which Ooh, I thought was super cool. It is really
0: cool. Again, real world example adapted for Avatar. I love that. Exactly.
1: Stuff. Yeah. I want to talk to them about their research that they did. I'm so curious.
0: Yeah. I feel like maybe a lot of it was them as like being really geeky and nerdy in college and just being like, this is really cool. we got to use this at some point. And they just like drop on that. So. Yeah. Yep. Elsewhere on the battlefield, several Fire Nation soldiers riding rhinos, but not the rough rhinos, unfortunately, charge towards Hakoda and several other water tribe warriors. Sokka leaps up and manages to split the spear of one of the soldiers, disarming his opponent with his blade. He yells for his dad to look out for another soldier as he tries to get a jump on Hakoda. But luckily, Hakoda manages to defend himself against multiple opponents and then joins his son on their newly acquired Rhino. The battle wages on as that like cabbage merchant rock cart that I said earlier is destroyed. Mm -hmm. And I didn't notice this the first time around, but I'm pretty sure the Mechanist was driving it himself. It looked just like him in that. They didn't ever mention it. They never see anything, but he's got that same wacky hairdo And it makes this really goofy sound when it gets destroyed, which leads me to believe that it's him. I
1: think it is. Yeah.
0: And also, uh, Huge loses an arm while knocking over another tank. This dude is knocking over so many tanks.
1: He is. His seaweed's strong. It really is. It's also, it's perfect to go up against the Fire Nation because the seaweed is so saturated with water that even if they blast him with fire, it's not going to do much.
0: Yeah, exactly. Unless they blast with too much fire, then it dries up and then it can catch on fire, potentially. Yeah. I think. I don't know. Anyways, Sokka, we've got to take out the battlements. It's our only chance, Hakoda tells his son, who instantly has an idea. The two warriors join Katara and Appa and take to the sky as they work together as a family. As a family, as Vin Diesel would say. Oh my god. To take out the remaining watchtowers. I can't help myself.
1: <laughs> Unnecessary. <laughs> He gets enough attention.
0: Yeah, it's fine. Katara and Sokka manage to take out the second to last tower with ease, but Hakoda catches a fire blast directly before being able to destroy the final one. Sokka and Katara rush to his side as he collapses. This sound design in this particular part is really well done. So he kind of climbs on top of the, the battlement or the tower. He rushes in, you hear a couple clang clang and then a boom. And then the music kind of picks up and it's like this uneasy kind of music. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh no, something terrible is about to happen. And he kind of like, he leaves the battlement and he just falls to the ground. It's like, it's very impactful. It's very well done.
1: Yeah. Cause you're thinking, oh God, did they just kill Katara yeah. and Sokka's dad?
0: Yeah. And it's really appreciated that, at least for me, that they took a moment to slow down the action to have this like moment, mm-hmm. this human moment. So it was really cool. I'm also sure the animators really appreciated it too, because, you know, battle scenes are difficult to choreograph and get done without having to deal with animation. Never mind with animation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Back at the palace, Zuko kneels in front of a portrait of his mother and acknowledges his mistakes
1: Okay, I'm gonna stop you right there. Yeah, yeah. Because we just go from this really emotional moment where we see Hakoda fall and Katara and Sokka kneel over him Mm -hmm. and we don't know what's going on. That scene cuts to Ursa's face Mm -hmm. as Zuko is looking at her picture. Mm -hmm. Like, excuse me, storyboarders. How (laughs) dare you? How dare you? Yeah. Cut from Katara and Sokka standing over their fallen father To Zuko looking at his missing mother's face, like, beautiful, heartbreaking.
0: It also, I always, I find it really interesting, too, that up until now, they've painted Zuko as being the other side of the coin, including us, as uh, being the other side of the coin as Aang. But this episode is more painting Sokka as being the opposite of Zuko, where Zuko doesn't have a great relationship with his father or his sister, and Sokka has both of that. Mm. Very interesting. Sokka is very goofy, very intelligent. If he can plan it out, he's just very like kind and, and lighthearted individual. Whereas Zuko is, he can plan things out, but I think he's a lot better like in the spur of the moment. He does not have a great sister or father. He um is very serious. If he tries to not be serious, he fails almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Like it's very interesting that they're kind of like planting these seeds of Sokka Zuko being yeah. like, you know, There's a lot,
1: lot of similarities and differences. But yeah. We're going to see that even more in the next couple episodes yes. when they're forced to work together. Yep. And actually Zuko's and Sokka's friendship after the series is one of my favorite things. Yeah. And we're going to see that more in the comics too. Yeah. They're amazing.
0: They're even from opposite element tribes or element Uh I don't know what you call them. Opposing. Opposing elements. Like, uh, absolutely amazing. And one's a bender, one's not. The differences continue
1: forever. so good. So it's just really cool. Before we move on from Zuko, I do want to just bring appreciation and and awareness to the fact that the storytellers haven't told us Zuko's leaving. They haven't told us he made this decision. Instead, they're showing him saying goodbye to the people and places in his home. And yeah. it's left to us to just fill in the blanks and go, oh, wow, he's making a big decision.
0: Yeah. And we kind of get those final moments where he grabs his broadswords and a pack mm-hmm. and he's just set on writing the wrongs that he has committed. I don't think really over his lifetime, but I think more recently is where his mind's at right now. He pulls up his hood and leaves the room.
1: Which is very similar to Ursa's Mm -hmm. scene where she Mm -hmm. leaves the room. She pulls up her hood and then walks out.
0: Like mother, like son. Yep. Back on the battlefield, Katara does her best to heal Hakoda, but it is obvious that he cannot fight any longer. Hakoda refuses to give up. His men need him and he won't let them down. After learning that Katara cannot heal their father any faster. I say this very nicely, but Sokka's like, can't you like hurry this up? (laughs) Sokka decides that he'll do it himself. That very Thanos, like, fine, I'll do it. My-. No, it's not like that. He's just like, I'll, I'll do it myself. Katara notes very quickly, mind you, that Sokka isn't exactly Mr. Healing Hands. But Sokka stands up and tells his sister what he meant was he is going to lead the invasion force. After Katara protests, Sokka points out that they need to be up to the volcano by the time the eclipse happens. And this is the only way to get that accomplished. Akoda tells Sokka that he is proud of him and Saka takes off with Appa back into battle. Katara is also proud of her brother, even if she thinks he's a little crazy. Saka and Appa make their entrance into battle, and Saka confidently tells everyone they need to get into a wedge formation as they are taking the tower and heading for the royal palace. For anyone who doesn't really know or can't visualize this, think like the flying V from the Mighty Ducks is kind of what they do.
1: Or like geese, which is probably more It's the flying V from Mighty, the
0: Mighty Ducks.
1: What if people haven't seen the Mighty Ducks?
0: Uh, excuse you. I feel like everyone's seen the Mighty Ducks, especially <laughs> since there's a new sequel series on Disney Plus right now. Oh, my God. It's not a Mighty Ducks podcast, but there you go. Yeah, Ducks fine. or geese. D- ducks e- or geese. Either
1: one, whichever works for your brain. It, it's it's ducks. It's ducks,
0: though. <laughs> Everyone follows Sokka's orders and they charge on.
1: It's almost like Eng told him his moment would come on the battlefield.
0: Mm. Ah, so hmm. weird how that comes back up. So weird. Aang watches over Capital City from the mountains and takes a moment to himself. He spins his staff back into a glider and approaches the streets. He finds it strange that the city is deserted, but continues on to the palace. The Avatar is back! Aang announces as he kicks in the door to the Fire Lord's throne room, but finds it also deserted. Hello? Anyone home? Aang asks as he puts down his guard. And wanders further into the throne room.
1: I half expected him to kick down the door and be like, Fire Lord, your days of tyranny are over (laughs) from his dreams.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or like equally bad one-liner like, Fire Lord, you've burned the world one too many times.
1: Right. Yep.
0: (laughs) Outside, the battle wages on as the invasion forces breach the walls of Capital City and push back the Fire Nation forces even further into the city. Sokka, we're on our way to victory, Bato tells the young warrior who looks up with determination at the volcano. Back in the throne room, Aang finds the throne of the Fire Lord abandoned. No, the avatar says as he falls to his knees. No, 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 no. He drops his staff. Fire Lord Ozai, where are you? Are you? Are you? Sorry. <laughs> the scene fades to white and that's the end of our episode.
1: <sighs> end of part one.
0: So in case anyone hasn't pieced this one together yet, there is so much that happens in part one and part two, that we are doing different episodes of the podcast for them. We debated doing one episode, but we didn't want to rush through anything or or not do something justice. So instead of following the Netflix order of combining these into one episode, it is now two episodes of the podcast. So there's that. And now I want to ask Acorn, who is your MVP of the episode?
1: Oh, it's got to be Sokka. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be Sokka. This was his moment. And I think actually what really solidified it for me was that one moment where he's running across the ground, hops up on the horns of the Komodo rhino and splits that person's spear in half. So cool. Like that's when it all came together for me because I realized he has been on this journey equally as his friends. And him training with Master Pando to become a master of the sword Like, it feels like it's all paying off here. He has wanted to become a warrior his whole life. He's wanted to follow in his father's footsteps. He's been practicing his planning and his navigation and his skills on the battlefield. And now it's all coming together. And he did also step up in this episode to help lead where his father could not. So yeah, it's got to go to Sokka.
0: Yeah, I agree. My, I think my uh, my runner-up, if you will, is Hakoda.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You can see why Sokka holds him in such high regard in this episode. He has these crazy skills. Like, he took on, what, seven Firebenders, or at least Fire Nation soldiers, like, all at once, and he, like, disarmed two of them and used one's spear against the other. It's, like, very cool fighting. Oh. Uh, he's also very supportive of his son. He does step in when Sokka is, like, very blatantly just, like, failing to deliver a speech, Mm -hmm. which is, I kind of go back and forth in my head if that's good or not. It's good that he's not letting his son like suffer, but also at the same time, like has he done that to Saka in his life before and stunting some sort of like growth potentially I don't know but like
1: I briefly thought that but I think he actually let him go far longer than true. he could have
0: that's very and true and then
1: stepped in as like okay son yeah you tried let me help you here and then we'll try again next time
0: and, and he does say like you know he, he never says like oh don't ignore what my son says he never said he never exactly. mean Saka he says I'm just gonna like illustrate let me make some it. things clear yeah I'm just I'm just gonna like add on to what Sokka said just mm-hmm. really quickly and then just re-explains everything in a much more succinct manner and very yep. inspirational. So yeah, I'll, I'll uh, take back what I said there, but he's just a good father. He's an excellent warrior. Mm-hmm. It makes me really think that he really disliked having to leave his family when he did. Yeah. And Katara's words at the beginning of book three must have been cutting so much deeper than we had realized. Uh, mm. that, that's my backup. That's my runner up, if you will. But yeah, Sokka, always Sokka. forever. Love him. Love the guy. What's your moral of the episode?
1: Uh, I think actually it's we're stronger together because I also had a moment watching this invasion and realizing that these people are coming from all over the world for this. We have the Swamp Benders. We have the pro wrestlers from Mm -hmm. the Earth Kingdom. We have Haru's family and villagers from his village and on and on and on. All these people that they've met along the way. And it was them coming together and working together in innovating and creating these new vehicles and technologies that got them here. So in the beginning, we started off with just Aang and Katara and Sokka. And here we are two seasons later, two and a half seasons later, and they're able to do these amazing things because they're working together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good one. I think for me, the moral of the episode was to give yourself a break every once in a while.
1: Oh, that's good too. Yeah.
0: I think that hits me a lot harder with what happened to Saka because I think everyone knows I relate so much to Saka as well as Iroh and to see Saka going through something like this, which like, I think everyone's gone through and like, I do it on a fairly regular basis. So it's just kind of like a, just like my advice to anyone that has moments like that, is just, like. I know it's difficult, but like, it's got to cut yourself a break every once in a while. Like, you know, don't, don't dwell on all those moments where you should have said one thing over the other. It's just, it happened, man. Be more like Chong, man. And just, (laughs) it just happens. And just sing, sing the song you need to sing at that time and move on.
1: Mm -hmm. The concept, if you, if you get knocked down, just, you know, get back up again, brush yourself off and continue. and,
0: And then you get up again. And then you, they're never going to keep you down <laughs> and you get we knocked down. Do <laughs> <laughs> you set me up for it.
1: You missed the Lincoln Park in the end opportunity.
0: Oh, man. See, I'm always, almost. I'm, I'm always looking for a one step closer and never in the end.
1: Yeah. But I guess I in the
0: end, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Made it up. There we go. Yeah, and that is all the time that we have for this particular episode. Stay tuned for next week when we have part two coming up.
1: the conclusion of the invasion.
0: That's right. Yes, and if you are kind of like sitting there thinking, man, this podcast is so great. I wish I could help support it in some way. Well, we have a plethora of ways you can help support the podcast. You can not only, as we said earlier, Leave a five-star written review over on the Apple Podcasts app. You can leave a non-written one if you want. that also helps, although those will not get read because you can't read what's not written. You can email us directly at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at Podcast Avatar. You can interact with some of the TikToks that we have up over at Podcast Avatar on the TikTok app. You can go over to patreon.com slash avatarofthepodcast and get all the bonus content that we have so far. Page three for the doodle pages coming up in the next upcoming weeks. We have the AMAs, like we said. We got secret podcasts, which is so much fun. I cannot it's wait so to talk about fun. the next
1: one. I know. Me too. And my favorite, you can shout from the rooftops how much you love Avatar the Podcast and tell all your friends and family.
0: Yes. And you can also send messenger hawks. Just make sure they're fully trained first before sending them out. <laughs>
1: make sure you go to that morning training session. Yes.
0: Otherwise, <laughs> they might not come back ever. Yep. And if you've done all that and you are still looking for some ways to come hang out, you can always join me over at twitch.tv slash on Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Currently, I'm playing Resident Evil Village. It wrecked me on Friday. I'm hoping that never happens ever again. I don't get scared easily because I'm so so brave and macho and tough, (laughs) but it definitely left me in pieces. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen the next time we play it?
1: Mm, Screaming creepy babies are just... Uh,
0: (laughs) That's not great. No. But you can also find me over on Twitter at Booster Greg. You can also find me on TikTok as well at Booster Greg. And you can find me basically anywhere that's Booster Greg. This is me. Booster
1: Greg. All the time.
0: All the time. All day, every day. Not all day, every day. That's too much for me. That's too much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with moderation. Enjoy with moderation. Yes. There we go.
1: And you can find me online at Acorn Bandit and also at joysons.com, which is J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com, where I create enamel pins, including our Toff pin and our Appa pin for the podcast, which Greg actually showed off on our AvaTalk episode last Friday, which if you haven't caught that, you can find it either on twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration, if you go back into the VODs, You can also see it on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Avatar The Podcast.
0: Yes. Coming up next time,
1: Zuko's Redirection.
0: And Like Father, Like Daughter. All this and more next time on Avatar Avatar, The the podcast. Podcast.
1: Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.